0: one and all to the world's finest show. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Kyle Hudson.
1: And I'm Ray Gordon.
0: <laughs> and today we have a very fun show for you. Uh, we actually have a, a L.A.-based comedian named Jeff Plitt. Uh, he's going to be joining us in the second half of the show, all the way from California. Um, so I'm pretty excited. We're going to have kind of a, a fun show. I think we need to, you know, get back to our roots a little bit. And um, I... You I ever been to California? I've actually been to California... Well, twice, once when I was a kid. And then when my wife and I went on our honeymoon, we did, we stopped over in San Diego and did like, mm. instead of getting a straight through like a connecting flight, we took a flight to San Diego. And then we took a flight from San Diego to uh, Hawaii so that we could, cause we, we went uh, on our honeymoon in Maui. And uh, so we did one day in San Diego. It was amazing. What about you?
1: I have been to California once. And that was when my sister went to FITM, uh, the Fashion and Design Institute, that's in, um, I guess, uh, Los Angeles. Okay. So I got off of the LA accident, the whole California. I was in California and I ate at California Pizza Kitchen, and I have no shame. It was (laughs) delicious. (laughs) And the moon was tremendous. It was the what? uh, I think we went during the harvest moon. And the moon was about the size of a skyscraper. It was it was grandiose in the sky. I'll never forget it.
0: Yeah, I, I I mean you know obviously with you know I went to film school so like you know part of the original plan was to go to L A and stuff like that. I just never never got around to it. And uh yeah, it'll be an interesting interview, especially because uh and I'll bring it up probably in the interview that our paths kind of took. You know, he started in tech and then went into the entertainment industry, and I kind of started in the entertainment industry, went into tech. So it'll be interesting. So make sure you stay tuned for the rest of the show, uh, for the second half of the show, for the interview. But um, yeah, so there's been a lot happening that we haven't talked about because, uh, you know, we've been talking about a lot of serious topics recently, which I felt like we should have. But, um, you know, we also should probably talk about the new PlayStation 5 that's coming out. Really? Yeah. Dude, have you... Have you heard of uh, they are coming out with, like, a Miles Morales expansion to Spider-Man? Because I know you just got yes. Spider-Man on PlayStation 4. Yes. Um, and so you've been swinging through New York. And they're going to actually have, like, a full standalone expansion just focusing on Miles. And I don't want to spoil it for you or any of the people at home. but uh, like a
1: DLC. sounds awesome. So-
0: well, so it's going to be like, yeah, like DLC, but more like, like a massive, like how Monster Hunter World had like a, a DLC that like changed everything. That's what it's saying that it's going to be. In the beginning, it was downplayed, but it sounds like it's actually going to be pretty big. And I, I don't know, out of all the PlayStation 5 news that's come out, that's definitely been the one that's most exciting for me. Um, I, I really want to tell myself that I will get a PlayStation 5 when it comes out, although you know, I have a kid now, so uh, it's not it like guesses, when the PlayStation for the kid. 4 came out. Well, get when the PlayStation 4 came out, I well, yeah, right? Like, in, uh, what was it? Um, eastbound and Down. He gets his, like, baby son of PlayStation 3. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, like, last time when PlayStation 4 came out, I, like, literally had just won thousands of dollars on a game show. And it was the first thing I bought was that, that game system. I literally, the day I got the check, I went online, and I was like, ah, you know, sure, $600. Get PlayStation Right. Cool. So I don't know if I could do that, especially because like now I have a kid and, you know, with the economy being what it is, but I will, you know, it will be definitely high on my list to check out. And um, speaking of which, there's a couple other, the people who made, um, I know the other day you and I were talking about, you know, pretty good, uh, like really great games on PlayStation 4 and you were talking about Infamous Second Son, which if Jeez. you haven't played it, it's like a $5 game. It's Jeez. a launch title. And I mean, Ray, right? Like, it's the most superhero game I've ever played before I played Spider-Man.
1: There are, there are game concepts that don't stick the landing, um, that, like, you can't, like, keep making more games off of. One of those being Star Wars The Force Unleashed. That was also a game that had an original game and then a sequel. Infamous and then Infamous Second Son figured it out where Star Wars The Force Unleashed sort of dropped the ball. The second game is just as fun as the first. Well, and you it gotta, blew me away.
0: But you got to think about it. It's easier probably to make something original. Whereas where in, you know, Star Wars, they have to deal with the Star Wars license, which comes with rules. You know, when you're doing something like Infamous, it's kind of its own thing. It has a very X-Men feel to it.
1: Um, but Kinda I, I more like like uh like the inhumans. You know, so sort of like yeah, like a mutant-esque. Yeah. Feel.
0: Well, the reason why I thought Second Sun was so great is because you like absorb different powers from different people. So like you had like three or four or I think it was actually five by the end of the game, power sets that you can do different things, different elements like run through neon and stuff like that. And I don't know, as someone see I didn't have a PlayStation 3. I went from Playstation Two to Playstation Four so infamous second son blew my mind i was like wait i don't have to
1: save (laughs) right you just walk around pause i pause i I miss pausing i feel like we could do a whole show on pausing and how it's no longer something that happens
0: yeah, so, um, so one of the games that I uh, have been playing a lot recently has been Heroes of the Storm. I played it a lot like a year ago. Uh, I looked it up and actually like right before my baby was born, I was playing it a bunch. And then for some reason I stopped. Um, but I've gotten back into it because my friends have gotten back into it. And, you know, I- I've had to say a couple times, you know, I'm playing and my wife's like, can you, you know, take out the garbage or something like that? I'm like, I can't pause. You know what I mean? Like I'm online and I'm playing with other people and i can't pause and my wife thankfully is a gamer so she understands do you know what i mean like my wife understands that you know some games you can pause some games you can't right but i can just like 10 years ago like you said everything you know you could just stop it and continue on later and it's just kind of a something we just have lost in gaming as like a just a standard Right. But it makes sense with a game like Heroes of the Storm or Destiny or any of these online games because other people are playing too. Um, right. I Do you remember? I can't remember what game it was. We're like, there's a game a couple of years ago where like you had a certain amount of timeouts. I thought that was a clever way of getting around it. Right. Like you couldn't straight up pause the game, but you could call a three minute timeout, mm. which would allow you to. Do what you got to do. pause the game. Yeah, do what you got to do. So I, I, I can't remember what game that was. If uh, someone does know, put it in the comments and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure that out. Because um, you
1: mentioned – it's funny that you mentioned that. I don't know. We're on Infamous second Seconds, which does pause, by the way. Huh, it's great. Uh, I, I said uh, I'm more gravitating towards games that have that function as, as opposed to – even though I love Destiny 2, and I do, and I'll play it. And – I just have to remember to allot my time. Even when I play Call of Duty Zombies, uh, it's, it's an online sort of thing. If you want to play with people, and there is no pausing. Once the round starts, you just sort of have to survive. So, I don't know. I guess hmm, I guess it's, it's from my era that I am appreciative of a lapse in activity, I guess, so I can give my brain a break.
0: Well, I mean, I, I can just say as I've gotten older, I've definitely changed the way I view games. I mean, I remember when I would see a game and it'd be like 120 hours of content and I'd be like, yes, I am down for that. And now I read like, you know, what was the new Dragon Age game? Not Dragon Age, Dragon Quest game that came out and it said something like that. It was like I was like, I don't have time for that. Who has 100 hours? Well, well, then a game like Metal Gear Solid, right, where it's, like, literally, I mean, if you take out the cutscenes, it's probably four or five hours of actual game, right? And, like, that is totally more my speed. I want something I can beat in a month, Right. Right. 40 40 hours of gameplay, if I'm, for a new game, which I don't really buy new games anymore, but if I was buying a new game for $60, and I got 40 hours of fun out of it, I would feel like I got my money's worth.
1: Right. Well, that's also because, like, the games that we used to play cost between 25 and forty nine ninety nine. I mean, if I get a – and just, just seeing the – oh, what was that game? It was the Avengers. The Avengers game with the pre-order. It was, like, this bundle for $199.99. And I said, you're not going to get $0.99 cents and $199. For well, not yeah. Hard. Well, that's the –
0: Well, with the pre-orders, because I've actually been looking at the new Avengers game coming out, too, because that comes out next month. I'm going to probably get it, too. Although, (laughs) I've been burned enough on pre-orders that I've stopped doing it. Um, Well, like, I mean, most recently with Final Fantasy 7, I mean, that just, I couldn't get it because you know, all the stores closed. Which I understood. But there's been a a few games where, like, I pre-ordered it and then it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Um... So, although the Avengers one, I don't know, I might actually pre-order that one, uh, but I, I definitely think that, uh, like, the price of games were going to go up from 50 to $60 over, you know, that, that's, that's easy, but it does bother me when a game like Resident Evil 3 comes out, and, I mean, it's a remake of an already existing game. Now, granted, it's a beautiful remake. But the game I mean, if you played Resident Evil 3 back in the day, it was maybe six hours. And in the original game, which I did not so I haven't played to be completely honest, I haven't played Resident Evil 3 on PlayStation 4, but on PlayStation One, it had like branching endings, right? Like there was multiple endings you could do, and I heard that they took that out. So like it really seems to me like you're getting an inferior product, and I could not justify paying 60 dollars for something that is six hours worth of of gameplay, right? Because another thing is with Avengers or a lot of these other games, there's an online mode, right? And so there's like, you know, 40 hours of the story and then however much time you want to sink into the online multiplayer, you know what I mean? And I don't know, I just, I'm not as upset about the price of games because I understand how much they cost to make, but I really have gotten away from buying them day one is, I mean, my backlog is so big too. I got so many. I got. I don't have time to play video games like I, when I was a kid anymore. You know what I mean? I got tons of games I still want to play.
1: Right, and it's like infamous Second Son for me. I know I kind of was late to the party, but I've always liked the infamous franchise. Oh, that was or a launch a, title.
0: Uh, that was a launch title for PlayStation Four. That was, that was like one of the first games. But it's a great game still, right? And that's what, I don't, are... I don't need, have the need to play the newest game, with the exception of Final Fantasy VII, just because like I was.
1: I was like, ready for that. Final <laughs> Fantasy seven, oh. But um, – Which is tremendous, by the way. It's tremendous. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you, you have that? You, you got it for the, the – seven, Buddy, I game. got it. Buddy, I got it. And I've played it, and it's great. And it's I, beat, have I haven't even games? gotten back – Oh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that it's following the old game as far as, uh, like, I'm loving that.
0: You'll see, man. I'm not going to touch that because I don't want to spoil it. It, it was – let me tell you this, man. Final Fantasy VII Remake came out literally when the coronavirus hit. Like, it was literally... I mean, the reason why I couldn't get it where I pre-ordered it was because the store was closed because of the coronavirus. So, like, I needed that, like, nostalgia hit. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, it was it was what I needed at that exact moment. It helped me really get through the tougher, earlier parts of this whole crisis was mm. being able to just, like, switch off and visit Midgar, and like, go hang out with Tifa and Barrett for a little bit, like I do have a question though. I do yeah. have a question how what are your feelings on Barrett's voice acting and his overall character? because like I don't know, man, I always thought that Barrett, that Barrett was a little questionable when it came to their characterization of a like a, a alpha black male. He's... And I thought they would tone it back with the remake, but they kind of doubled down. <laughs>
1: he is and and his phenotype is generally seen in most uh anime and most uh video games of anime of you know the depiction of the african-american male um in an anime setting is kind of overblown but that's also uh linked to the fact that there's not as much exposure so what you see is what you get a lot of it like our in america our exposure to anime is what we are able to see but you go over to, to japan and i guarantee you there's so many more anime <laughs> like there's so many more there's such a different sect that it would blow your mind but it's like it's all about exposure so when i see barrett in the final fantasy 7 remake i am sympathetic and empathetic to the fact that like hey at the time they only really saw like that that it late 80s, early 90s hit.
0: Yeah, but that was at the time. And now when he's still like, it's a really- I don't know, man, I'm not going to make the voice. I really don't feel comfortable doing that. But like, like the way one- personally, I switched like-
1: it over. I switched sub. So I switch when I get a game and it is from a different era, a different region. I switch over to their voice acting and uh. I get the subtitles. Because a, I want to give a respect for respect is due. B, I love the fact that even, even with the cutscenes, the mouths move different for the American talking and with the with the Japanese uh, language inserted. So it's like they they really pulled out all the stops. So when I started hearing the yeah I'm the oh, I was like, let me switch this. Let me, let me switch this. At least, at least then I can like bypassing like okay that's it it is what it is
0: yeah it is is what it is right and it was like oh man ah i kind of hoped you would fix that and i just hope that you know maybe part two they do a little bit better of a job because i don't know it it, i did feel it was a little insensitive but it was a little insensitive you know what i mean and they could have improved it It, um
1: it was because there's a difference like the purists the purists probably are like i understand why you did it like it was, it was bad then. It's bad now, but at least it's updated bad, and it's and it sticks to the plot, right? I, I kind of wouldn't have been able to agree with it if Bear was like this kind, concerned, sensitive.
0: Yeah, like, but he didn't. Help I'm gonna it.
1: hear your feelings. No, that's not Barry.
0: <laughs> I know, but I mean, like, dude, I, I, you could have gone like a Vin Diesel route with him. He's got a you machine know what I mean? gun.
2: Yeah, but dude, ball. no,
0: okay, but the machine gun arm thing. And if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII, um, I don't really want to spoil it to you because we're all gonna be re- replaying it over the next decade. Um, but that scene, when you find out how he got the machine gun arm, that's one that's of the best lot. moments in the game, dude. I a mean, it, it, that that hits that, that part, and I think that'll be in the next part, which is why I really don't want to. Emotional,
1: yeah, Final Fantasy landed the emotional ties to video games, they landed it like this. I have conversations at work uh, at my job with grown people of varying ages, older than me, who regaled me with tales of Final Fantasy VII and its predecessors. And I'm just like, I wasn't even around for them, but I loved the games. Like, I can only imagine when they came out.
0: Have you played Final Fantasy VI?
1: Yeah. uh, I actually saw it played, and that's what got me uh, enticed to play Final Fantasy Seven. I was like, "Oh, okay. I like the turn-based nature.' I like how it's, hmm, like it'll it'll get you thinking, it'll get you playing, it'll get you acting. It's kind of great. It gets you feeling. I well, love a game that can make you feel."
0: I was talking because my wife and I uh, do play video games together, and I was telling her we should, you know, play one of the older Final Fantasies. Uh, and I have, I still have Final Fantasy Nine, you know, for PlayStation and PlayStation Two. And I was like, "But the thing is, it's not voice acted." You know, back then, it, you had to read everything. And I was like, it's kind of like, you know, reading a book. You know what I mean? It's it, it's kind of like, a, it's, it is a game that you read. And it is, there's a lot of text. It's a lot of reading. And I do think something was lost in between Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy X when they went from the reading to the voice acting. And I also thought it was a, another strange thing that they didn't bring back the... Um, the voice cast that they've been using for like ever um I don't know if you knew this but uh it, you remember the movie She's All That yes the girl from that movie had been the voice of Tifa for like the last decade
1: didn't know that right Wow! <laughs> way to make money
0: <laughs> yeah I, uh, I forget her name I forget her name but yeah she was definitely the voice of Tifa for like ever um but, I mean, talking about a backlog, I still haven't even gotten around to playing Last of Us 2.
1: Have you played that? Have you played Last of Us original? I have heard my coworkers talking about this game for months. I, when, I, when it gets to that horror thriller genre, I get kind of hesitant because I don't really – I like to play games where if I'm going to be scared, it's not going to be because of some horror. It's going to be because some type of jump scare come up. Like, I'll play Devil May Cry.
0: See? But – I will say this, that Last of Us, and I don't know about the second one, but the first one, everyone should play. Um, it is seriously, it is a, it's a horror game in the vein of uh, Resident Evil. You know, it's, 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 I actually describe it a lot to people as Resident Evil 20 years later, both story-wise and technology-wise, right? Like you have, it, it is a 20 years later game and the story takes place 20 years after something like in Resident Evil happens, right? So it's really interesting in that respect. But the story, man, honestly, outside of an RPG, I don't think I've ever seen a story that good. Like, it blows every Zelda game out of the water, I mean, on an emotional level. Um, Let me tell you this. It is one of only two video games to ever make me cry. Final Fantasy VII, and Last of Us. and wow. It is a game that looks at the consequences of your actions in a way that, again, RPGs do, but they do it through like a um, you know, if you do this, then that happens. If you do this, then that happens. Yeah. Last of Us is a story it's trying to tell you. So there isn't, it's not a sandbox game like Grand Theft Auto. But mm-hmm. The story is about the consequences of your actions. And it is like literally masterfully told. It's, it's like a movie. Um, I really, the only other games that I put on a narrat- narrative level is like Detroit Become Human. Actually, Spider Man is, is a very good game narratively. Do um, you know Dan Slott, who wrote Spider Man? He's the second longest writer on Spider Man ever. He wrote a lot of spider-man the game
1: thank you (laughs) well that's why it
0: sounds so accurate to the comics and stuff like that it actually comes from his um there's a uh, a lot of the stories are inspired by they're it's not a direct sequel but if you read these comics if you want to play spider-man you want to read the gauntlet and it's a series of stories told by both dan slott and mark wade and it's essentially in the comics um Craven the Hunter wants to hunt Spider-Man. And so he figures out a way to get a bunch of villains to essentially attack Spider-Man over and over and over again. So it's like one guy right after the other. And they call this a series of several mini sh- stories. They call it the Gauntlet. And it's considered one of the best Spider-Man so And it literally touches on all the big ones. You know, the Rhino, the Vulture, Shocker, uh, Mysterio. All the ones that show up in the game, you could almost read like those comic books as, because you know, you start like eight years in, so all of this stuff already happened years ago. So you can kind of read those comics as background for Spider-Man.
1: Oh, wow. Didn't know that. I had to do a lot more uh, world study when it comes to Spider-Man. Cause Spider-Man, while I love it, um, I really don't have much exposure to it outside of va- a few sparse random comics and and the, then the movies, even the games, only had a little bit of it. Like that's why I'm playing this, this new uh, Spider-Man game. Well, I don't know about new, new, but new for me, <laughs> it, it's kind of getting me re uh, caught up to the mastery of the web-slinging one. You know what I mean? Dude, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> Spider-Man's
0: my favorite superhero
1: for a reason. I mean,
0: he's relatable. You know what I mean? Like, he told jokes.
1: He told jokes every time. Uh, like, not like Deadpool, but Well, but that's, snarky. It's, a,
0: it's a perfect amount. You know what I mean? Like it's, He's clever. He's smart. But he's also an everyman. And he also has bills to pay. Unlike Tony Stark or Bruce Wayne, who are like millionaires, right? Like He has a job usually as a photographer or a teacher or, you know what I mean? A wor- he's working class. He's yeah, blue-collar. Definitely blue-collar. Speaking of Spider-Man have you heard the rumor about Spider-Man 3 who's going to be showing up? So, you know, Spider-Man, if you, I'm not going to spoil the ending of Spider-Man too far from home in case you haven't seen it yet, but let's just say at the end, he's going to need a lawyer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the original theory was that it was going to be She-Hulk because She-Hulk is going to have a Marvel, uh, a Disney plus show, and that it would be a perfect way to introduce She-Hulk into the series. But they're thinking they're going to go another route because Spider-Man is very close friends with another in the comics he's very close friends with another street level superhero daredevil and they might bring back charlie cox as daredevil in the oh, wow. new spider-man movie oh
1: wow yeah. so mm.
0: yeah and i that is so exciting to me now It's that'll that will be like interesting because the the Netflix show's relationship to the MCU has always been tangential, we'll say. Um, they they in the opening scenes of Daredevil, and I think in Jessica Jones, they do reference the incident, right? Which is taken to be the invasion of New York that takes place in the first Avengers movie, but. It's never explicitly said, and none of them ever interact with them, so it's kind of been its own thing. But if Charlie Cox shows up as Daredevil, that's direct connective tissue that we've never had with the Netflix series. And I also heard that um, Ritter, the woman who played Jessica Jones, is also in talks to come back. Yeah. And it seems like they're going to recast Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist.
1: Well, terrible. terrible for that. Uh, I know. I like them both
0: as actors. I mean, I did not hate. If you're gonna
1: get rid of both, if I had to lose, if I if in order to lose Iron Fist, I had to lose Luke Cage as well, I would be like, so be it. I guess that's what they did. It was more like,
0: well, because they're heroes for hire. That's like they're a team. You know, like the two of them should have teamed up in the series if that was how it continued. Um, I, I like that actor uh he's in a new show called evil which i i haven't had a chance to check out but oh,
1: I, I think I've just, yeah, he Plays
0: like a priest or something like that it looks interesting yeah. on cbs um but yeah man i i am uh i i was disappointed to see that because i, I really did and and they left the season two of luke cage on such a uh, a cliffhanger yeah. but you know you're gonna see bushmaster soon uh, well, I guess production is going to be on pause for a little bit longer now. because you know who what his next role is. It's going to be another
1: Netflix show. Really? You're
0: gonna be Jet Black, dude. you going to be Jet Black in uh, Cowboy Bebop with uh, John Cho. John Cho is going to play Spike. That's
1: yeah, you know, great. That's great. That's great.
0: Yeah, dude. I am so excited for that. And also, uh, speaking of Netflix shows, you know what just came out? Season 2 of Umbrella Academy. So if you're looking for something to watch, I mean, Umbrella Academy came out last year and we yeah. gave exploring reviews on the show. Uh, I'm sure the second season, if it follows the comic books, will be superior, uh, superb. Um, the second comic book, again, I can't really give spoilers because I haven't seen the show, but in the, in the comics, because the comics are written by Gerard Way. Who uh, did My Chemical Romance? He was the lead singer for My Chemical Romance. Um, not a fan of his music, but he writes some of the best comic books I've ever read. Um, and in the comics, they go to Dallas and try and and they get involved with the uh, JFK assassination plot because it's all about time travel. So it'll be interesting because it was it was in the in the first series of books, it wasn't mentioned at all, but it was kind of alluded to in the second. In, in the first season of the, the TV show. And then, I mean, honestly, it was almost like if Wes Anderson made a superhero movie. Uh, it is really neat. You, you watched Umbrella Academy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. It was actually like, it blew my mind because it really linked up as much as it possibly could to, to the comic. But it was actually interesting on its own. Yeah, it's you like don't have Royals. to watch read the comic to watch and roll again.
0: Exactly, and it's actually its own standalone thing. You don't need to know any. It's not like the MCU where you need to know all these other characters. It's just pretty much watch the show. It's essentially like Royal Tenenbaums meets the X-Men. I like <laughs> um, that's how i describe it. But, um, but yeah.
1: Very funny stuff.
0: So uh, I think uh, we should probably take a break and head over to our interview with Jeff Plitt, the comedian. Um, he has a lot of stuff, so we'll uh, we'll get back with him when we come back after this break. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Villaburte.
2: And I'm Zach Ging. Growing up, we had a difficult time understanding the issues that impacted us as Asian Americans. We had the questions, but didn't know where to find the answers.
0: So together, we created a podcast and embarked on a journey. Tune into our podcast, The Situation Room a show that dives deeper into Asian America through hard-hitting topics, cultural cuisine, and shares our own stories.
2: You can find us on keystonedigital.tv and get access to all of our content and more. Or find us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to
0: the world's finest show. I'm Kyle Hudson. Uh, Today I'm joined all the way from California by a very special guest. Uh, Jeff Plitt is host and writer of What You Need to Know and a former Google engineer turned stand-up comedian. How are you, Jeff?
2: Hi, Kyle. I'm uh, glad to be here. How are you?
0: Good. Now, I met you on Twitter. Uh, I'll be honest, it is not the platform I am on the most. So when you invited me, you sent me a, a little email to your uh, what you should know, or uh, what you need to know uh, email that had your, your little bits and I thought they were really clever. So I reached out and, and I'm glad you could join us. So tell us a little bit about your journey because it's really interesting.
2: Sure. Um, well, I'll start at the beginning. So um, I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. and My mom is an uh, ac- occasional actress. My dad is an MIT trained engineer and I sort of do both. So growing up, I was uh, coding on computers. I've always done that. I got my degree uh, in computer science at Carnegie Mellon, but I also grew up doing acting and plays and musicals. And then in, in college, while I was studying to be an engineer, I was uh, doing theater and um, started an improv troupe and was getting into comedy. So after that, I went to Chicago. I did Second City and Improv Olympic, um, sketch comedy, stuff like that. Um, I was still. Doing uh, tech as well, and then it, I just realized I want to focus in stand-up comedy, filmmaking, and I got an offer to work at uh, Google. So I moved back here to LA. Uh, the it was Google's LA office, and I was I was working on Picasso Web albums, one of their old sort of Google Photos uh, web things, and I started doing stand-up comedy, and that has been my path for the last uh, twelve years or so, I'm sort of rising from from the bare bottom of open mics to now being uh, sort of in the, in the middle of a stand-up comedy career. It's not paying my bills, but I am a professional. I do make some money on it every year. Um, mostly going to festivals and stuff like that. But um, along the way, I started to realize, you know what? I With stand-up comedy, you, you write jokes that and stories that are evergreen, that are about you and your life, that you can tell for years. But I'm also attracted to the kind of jokes that Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel tell, you know, like late night comedy. So I started writing jokes about the news and uh, that's a very different thing because those jokes get stale after a couple of weeks, you can't tell them anymore. But if you can write those, you know, it's, it's kind of fresh and and hip to be talking about what's currently happening in the news. So I started doing that a few years ago on my own, just for Twitter. And I started to realize, you know, this, this, there, there could be a career in this. So I've, um, I haven't quite uh, gotten to, one day I want to write for, uh, Bill Maher or Stephen Colbert or something like that. And I've, I've actually submitted writing packets to both those guys. Um, and so I'm, I keep going at that. But in the meantime, I run my own show. So it's a YouTube show. Every week I do, um, you know, a bunch of jokes about the news with kind of graphics, kind of like John Oliver or, or, or any of those guys that we mentioned doing their shows. Plus sometimes I have funny interviews where a friend of mine, usually comedian, will do, Usually it's a scripted interview where they're kind of playing a character, like a uh, a mask denier. I don't know. I'm I'm a liberal person, so I think masks are a good thing. So I sort of make fun of mask deniers. Not that I have anything wrong if you don't uh, wrong with uh, you if you don't like wearing masks. But anyway, so uh, that's that's kind of like what I'm up to now. And and uh, I, I still love to to like use the left side of my brain as well. I've always been a math guy. I love chess. So. I've always, um, I think, used both of these kind of aspects of my personality. And sometimes I put them right together, especially with filmmaking, like with my show, when I get to play with cameras, lights, and audio, and and computer editing, and and all of that, but also write and perform jokes, that's that's when I'm happiest, you know?
0: Yeah, I want to talk about your show because uh, it does have a very late night monologue kind of feel. Um, very much like I don't know I like Conan O'Brien you know how he you know before the show starts he has like the what's going on and I, I think you really nail that and I just wanted to ask you you know as a guy who's like me worked in both tech and the entertainment industry um, where do you think you really like what are some advantages you have because you live in both worlds um, because I definitely see you know some of your technical prowess coming through in some of your the, the more technical elements of your show
2: oh thanks I, you know, so one thing is when I went to school for engineering and growing up i was I was kind of academic I was a nerd is I, I've always been attracted to to puzzles and problem solving so i i you know I taught myself to to solve uh, Rubik's cubes um, well, I read on how you solve them, but eventually I trained until I was able to do it and I, I just I love learning how to problem solve and so Yes, that can be a nerdy thing that you do as a physics or chemistry type of person, but you can also apply it to a creative endeavor. I'm very deconstructionalist. So it's, I think a lot of comedians, they have to wait for inspiration to hit. They have to wait until one day they're walking along and go, oh, here's a great idea, but you don't have to wait. You can also develop writing techniques and use, use technique and sit down and have um, uh, challenges and little games and, and things that you play to, to bring you to a joke even that you didn't think that you were going to arrive at when you started. So, um, you know, just at that point alone with the writing process, I think I I bring a lot of, a, a little bit of tech to that. I have feeds full of news. I read hundreds of feeds, just thousands of, um, a couple thousand of news stories every week just in order to figure out what the setups for my jokes are going to be. Then I take the list that I've collected of maybe a few hundred um, setups, and I go, hmm, which of these are going to be good jokes? I finally write maybe 20 or 30 jokes, or I would call them joke attempts, because some of them are terrible. I bounce them off friends, and I figure out, okay, these are the 15 I'm going to shoot. Finally, I shoot maybe 15, and I keep maybe 8 to 10 for the show. So it's, I'm very attracted to any process where you brainstorm, and you inflate your possibilities, and then you cut and whittle down and and uh, and hone your possibilities. So writing is like that sculptures, like, you know, any, any sort of art where you can, you can add and take away. I'm, I'm really into those refined sort of art forms. Um, but then, of course, you know, as I am shooting the show, I, I was a filmmaker, so I learned how to set up, you know, three-point lighting with a key and a fill. And um, I, I uh, if you've seen my show, there's this fun, like, sort of purple light in the back that gives my, my it's just my living room. And I, I just live in a typical apartment, but I've found a way to make it kind of look a little nicer than usual. Um, and- yeah. That actually
0: makes me think of something because one of the things that really struck me when I was doing research on you is like, you're very entrepreneurial. You're, and and one of the things I always tell people is like, you have to kind of create chances for yourself. And I was wondering how you kind of create those chances for yourself. Like, what are the things you do? Like you, you said, you just set this up in your living room, but you add this one little light and it adds a little accent and people sometimes get constricted by their own thinking. So what do you, what do you do to find those little points of inspiration that allow you to then take action, and then create the next thing.
2: You said it very well, Kyle. I think you have to create your own opportunities. If you wait for opportunities to drop in your lap, you might have two or three in your lifetime, sure. They, that does happen. Um, but if, if you're um, uh, you know, waiting for that, you, you could be waiting forever. So I think it's within anyone's ability to create a YouTube show, whatever your niche is. And I, when the pandemic hit, I asked myself the same thing I'll bet you did. Uh, Kyle, and your audience, any of your listeners, is like, maybe you're lucky and you can work from home and, um, you know, nothing's really changed. But for most of us, life has changed dramatically in this pandemic. And so I couldn't do stand-up comedy. um, And many things in my life sort of Changed. And I, I for two months I was slightly depressed, didn't know what to do, and then I, it sort of hit me because I'd been doing filmmaking, I'd been doing stand-up comedy. I went, oh, you know what I should do? I should do some kind of show where I am just every week put, putting out a little episode where I can put together some jokes, and um, and I think I, I think the idea really came through because I had already been preparing to be a writer for late night, so I had the the jokes figured out, and I'd already been a filmmaker, so I was really just putting it together. I never really put myself on camera very much. There's almost no footage of me on the web, um, besides a few stand-up clips and and one or two uh, you know brief TV appearances where I did like a line or two um, out there. So this is the first time because I, I, I'd been mostly being behind the camera. So this is the first time where I kind of put all those things together. But I do believe you have to create your own opportunities. Whatever it is, if you want to be a uh, book author, you want to be a writer, you want to be a musician uh, in the arts, or if you want to be a fitness person or a business person, being entrepreneurial is the best advice I can I can give to uh, have the outcome of your life be in your control so you're not waiting for other people. You know, you you can also, if you are really good at what you do, you can rise through the ranks of a company as an employee and that's absolutely totally works too. But if you want to maximize your chances to be fully in control of your life and choose exactly what you want to do, I think entrepreneur entrepreneurialism is exciting. I've also had a lot of my own failures. I've had businesses that I started that failed. And so you have to be willing to deal with that too.
0: Yeah, but we don't talk about those. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I always tell people like working in the entertainment industry is we are very lucky to be doing um, is the entertainment industry is like literally at its core lying to people. And I think that sometimes like you just described how much work you put into a show that is probably seven or 10 minutes long. And we, it's totally deceptive how easy, if you're doing it right, it can be to people. And I think you really explained it well. Um, this isn't something, you have to put in a lot of work, right? And so what would you say you do, like is your creative process and how do you keep yourself on track so you can put out an episode every week? Because as a guy who puts out a show every week, it can, it's like some weeks you're like, yeah, let's do it. But other weeks you're like, all right. So how, how do you stay on, on the ball and keep yourself going?
2: Well, I have two things jumped to my mind. First about procrastination. Um, I've procrastinated sometimes. One thing that I find that helps is giving yourself permission to not do anything on your to-do list except stare at it. If I don't want to actually do start a project or let's just say I, I, there's something on my to-do list and I'm just too lazy to do it. Instead, I will say for 10 minutes, I'm just going to think about it. I'm just going to look at it and think about it and make, maybe take some notes on it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to think about it. And that... Tends to wake up my ability to the next time to actually get take a chunk out of it and, and do some of it. Um, you know, another thing is I, I'm really into um, formats where the audience pulls it out of you, you know? So I, I had this sensation while I was doing stand-up and I started from the beginning do it at open mics. The first 30 times I got on stage were terrible, but I had this feeling like this is gonna get better. And so finally I had a good show, you know, someone high-fived me and they got lots of laughs. I'm like, yes, this is, good. This is gonna work. Um, and it got better from there. But. Uh, so lately, I think over the last few years, um, where most of the time I feel like I, I do decently well, now that I've been doing it for 10 years, uh, you, you have this sensation that the audience is pulling it out of you and the audience is telling you what to do. and so. On the other hand, uh, my show is still in its beginning stages in terms of building an audience. You know, on TikTok, I have a few million views with the the clips from the show. But on YouTube, I have like some of the the videos have just a few hundred views. So
0: talk about TikTok, because I'll be honest, as a guy, my friend like forced me to download it just the other day and I'm just messing around with it. And my other co-host, Ray, he doesn't really mess with TikTok either. So like as someone who's creating content for TikTok, how is that? I mean, you're getting a lot of response. So how is that different from the other ways that you've been putting out
2: stuff? Well, I think TikTok's great for, for a few key reasons. First of all, it's closest to Instagram. It's, it's, it's somewhat similar to Instagram, I, I would say, if you think about what it does. If, 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 if Instagram was not about photos, but about videos. Um, you know, YouTube came from the web uh, at first and it was like a desktop, it's like landscape oriented. So adapting YouTube to an app kind of worked, but when I use YouTube, I don't know, I can't easily find things to watch and it doesn't just, it's not effortless, but TikTok is like, what if YouTube was um, the the UI of Instagram and as easy to use as just just flicking a, you know, flicking a thumb and, oh, see my cat. <laughs> um, so TikTok, Couple things that are interesting about it: um, it's one minute max, and the you're not looking at thumbnails and choosing what to play. You're uh, you're just on a stream, and and so th- things su- surprise you. Another thing, though, is it's a bit of a meritocracy. What they do is they give every video, I think, a few hundred views for free, just to test it out and measure how how much audiences, strangers, like it, and then they reward you with either going viral or not. So I think that's very interesting. A lot of other apps haven't, didn't, don't really figure that out. Um, and so it, if my cat gets pretty annoying, just <laughs> let me know. And no, no, it's fine. Okay. All right. Um, I, hey. I,
0: I, uh, I want to ask, I ask this of whenever I have a, a creative, on um, because, you know, I feel like someone, when you create things, you have to draw from personal life experience. Right. And you know, if you're a filmmaker, every movie you make can't be about making movies. Right. So what would you say, is a job that isn't directly connected to what you do now but you still found incredibly valuable in what you do now do you know what i mean like it didn't it wasn't a direct stepping stone but you find it either a source of inspiration or maybe you met people there that you still see um i don't know i just feel like a lot of people have one of those jobs in the back like you know they were a delivery driver or you know yeah what's that for you
2: i think I I do connect with that, with what you just said, because often when I'm, before I was able to find short films to direct, you know, I'm not like a huge Hollywood director, I haven't done a ton of feature films, but I've done a lot of shorts and sketches. um, And anyway, along the road to getting to the point where people are like, hey, Jeff, do you wanna direct this? Before that, I, was just a, a DP, a director of photography, cinematographer. So it wasn't something that I really want to do. I really don't want to be a camera guy. But I realized, you know what, this is the legwork that will make my dream work. I think I'm stealing that phrase. I think i heard that somewhere. But this is the part that I have to do in order to do the part that I want to do. And it's okay to, you know, likewise, I edit my, sh- my YouTube show that, 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 um, that you mentioned. And I don't wanna be an editor. Um, it's only fun for me to do it from, from my show. And so there's those things that you don't like to do, but if you can get yourself so that you don't mind doing them and it enables you to do your dream or at least to, to do the, the things that you wanna do without having to pay someone else to do them or wait for someone else to do it, that can keep things in your control. And and you know, so I think it's important to to humble yourself and realize uh, maybe I have to learn Photoshop or maybe I have to be willing to go and, and do this or that in order to to do the thing I want
0: to do Oh, learning those skills. I mean, you know, basic Adobe suite, or even like you said, three point lighting can just save you so much money. So, you know, I always tell people invest in yourself whenever you can, because that will pay way more dividends than any kind of money in the stock market or anything like that. so, you know, we're, we're kind of coming to the end. Uh, do you have any, I mean, aside from uh, your show, What You Need to Know, do you have any fun projects on the horizon that uh, that are that we should know about?
2: Well, I, I did, but the, a lot of them were put on pause with the pandemic, and so, you know, I'm, I have a couple, vaguely, I have a couple of feature films I, I'm trying to, low budget feature films that I'm trying to get made, but it's too early to talk about them. But uh, I, I'll just plug my show. Um, if anyone out there is looking for a way to catch up on the news um, and uh, laugh a little bit, and uh, I you know, I, I think you'd enjoy my show, it's uh, What You Need to Know. Um, easiest way to find it is just to Google um, my name or, or search YouTube for my name. That's, that's It's easier than the title, What You Need to Know, because that's kind of a title that gets you to a lot of videos. Um, so my name is Jeffrey with a G, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, and last name P-L-I-T-T. You can find me on Twitter, Jeffrey Plitt. Uh, Instagram Jeff underscore Plitt, and most of the jokes um, that I do on my show, I also tweet out with uh, with kind of photos to illustrate the joke, and then those become Instagram posts. It's kind of a multi-platform uh, strategy. But uh, no, it's very uh,
0: you. You're an, I'm saying you're doing well, man. You're everywhere. <laughs>
2: Thanks. And then I have the c- companion um, newsletter. What what I do is in my newsletter, I don't share my own content. I share. Um, premium content. I share uh, Comedy Central, stand-up um, sketches from Key & Peel or Saturday Night Live, um, tweets by professional famous comedians and stuff. And so the newsletter is kind of fun because it's, it's a little easier to promote the newsletter than to promote my show. I mean, I'm proud of my show, but how does some stranger even know, you know, how good my show is or whatever. So what I often do is I will tweet out my newsletter and people will connect with that. And then I will mention to them, hey, also check out my show. You know, in the bottom of the newsletter, there's a small little link to my show, but the newsletter is mostly the coolest stand up and sketches and jokes and stuff that I, and memes that I found that week. So those are my two projects right now. The newsletter uh, for promoting other people's things is how I give back to the community is curating this newsletter and then my show.
0: Well, and I will say the newsletter is a blast. I get it. And it is great because so many of the things I get in my email inbox are like super depressing. So it's nice to have something that's like super positive and always makes me laugh. So Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you coming and taking the time to speak with us and keep up the good work. And if you have any of those super secret projects coming out, uh, let me know and we'll bring you back on.
2: Awesome. This is a pleasure, Kyle. I can't wait to come back. All right. I want to again, thank Jeff for
0: taking the time to call us all the way from California. Um, Ray. So what you got going on this weekend? You got any, uh, any fun stuff, any recommendations maybe for the people?
1: My recommendations so far. I had just recently watched The Old Guard on Netflix. A tremendous movie. It made me feel a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions, and the story concept was pretty excellent too. Uh, it had a slow beginning, but it it once it turned, there was no turning back. That's Old the one about Guard. the immortals, right? It's about immortals, right? Oh, uh, the originals. The originals on this also on Netflix. Netflix is just breaking in. It's it's a story about the original vampires and how at the very beginning they have returned to Louisiana, uh, New Orleans or New so they go, it. and it's just a vampire versus werewolf versus witches sort of war that happens, but it's all but it's all happening on the undercurrent and. New Orleans. It's a pretty interesting tale, like the original vampires, and then there's other vampires, but the original ones have lived for so long. Didn't True Blood take place in Louisiana? is where a lot of like magical what's it's happening. Swamp took place in Louisiana too. <laughs> well, How about I,
0: I was gonna say, you know, I mentioned it earlier, The Umbrella Academy. Um, But also, and this is not my normal thing, but uh, it is a very unique, different kind of uh, true crime show. If you have HBO Max or HBO, uh, there's a show called uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And it's a true crime about the, um, about like a serial killer from like the seventies who was actually, um, was his identity, he, he was, hidden no one had found him no one caught him for like 30 40 years and then uh independent crime investigator like blogger actually figured out his identity and and helped catch him uh, but she unfortunately died while she was writing the book but her husband was Patton Oswald, the comedian and so he used his resources to finish her book and then they caught this guy and he got arrested and is now going through trial. And wow. yeah, it's it's actually really fascinating because it's equal parts about the the crimes, but also about this woman and her pursuit of this crazy like she has these crazy theories and the way she she figures this guy out is like pretty fascinating. And I believe the series finale, it's only like six episodes, I think is this weekend on Sunday. So if you're into that kind of thing, which I know is not everyone's type of tea, and honestly I, I, I do watch a couple of true crime stuff, but it's not like my big thing. But the, because it's like Patton Oswalt is interviewed in it, it's a very interesting tone. Um, right. It's very different from like the staircase or the jinx or something like that. Uh, I think it makes it more approachable, but it is about very graphic things. So if that is not your cup of tea, then I definitely would stay away from that and do more of an Umbrella Academy. Or you know what? Watch Lost. It's been 10 years. Watch Lost. My friend, dude, the other day, my friend Tarek, He moved to America like six years ago, right? So he wasn't in America when Lost was on TV. And Um, the other day he called me up and he's like, Kyle, you have to check out this show It's called Lost. It's about these people who crash on an island and there's a smoke monster. And I was like, Carrick. I used to write for Lostpedia.
1: <laughs>
0: like, that was literally, I mean, I didn't get paid for or anything like that, but I was like a massive, I was a huge contributor on Lostpedia. And uh, I've seen every episode of Lost like three or four times. And I was like, You haven't seen it? And he's like, Yeah, we're at this point where we found this guy and he came in a balloon. His name was Henry Gale and they captured him. And I'm like, Oh, I can't yeah. say anything, Tarek. Call me when you finish the season. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, uh, I think it's on Netflix. So um, watch Lost. I mean, especially, look, you got all this time to kill. Um, It's more about the journey than the ending. I love the last episode of Lost, but uh, not everyone does. Just be aware of that. But if you like, you know, something that really makes you think, uh, Lost will give you, it's like three 23 episode seasons and then three 10 episode seasons. So it's like 100 episodes. All right, so that brings us to the end of our show. I want to thank Jeff Plitt for calling in from California. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. We do this all for you. This show's been made possible by electricity and brought to you by light. So that's it. Have fun, be safe, and until
1: next week. Ki.
2: Yeah. you.